morning, my title of my message is Dressed for Success. Amen. So an abundant life, John 10 verse 10, it depicts to you, it summarizes the whole role of the devil. That's all that is here. You can summarize, that's his CV right there. John 10, 10 is the devil's CV. He just comes to, to kill, to steal, and to destroy. He's not coming for a social gathering. He's not coming for anything else. That is his assignment for you. Each and every morning when you wake up, or before you wake up, he has a tailor-made plan of destruction for you. And the only way I, 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 I you know, I do believe that one day when we get and we are seated before the Lord and we stand before the Lord and the Lord will show us a, a picture of what our life was like, we will be surprised and shocked to see how many pitfalls we avoided through a single day or through a single hour where the enemy was supposed to take us out, but God's hand of protection and guidance was upon us. We're living in a life where we often, we take our lives for granted. Some of us are planning next year already, not knowing what's going to happen tomorrow. We take life for granted. The Bible says, you know, that, that life is like a vapor. It's here now, it's, and it's later it's gone. That is what life is like. And in that brief moment of your life, the enemy is going all out to destroy you. All out. So when you leave this earth, you make sure that his destruction is on such a level that you do not enjoy the abundance of God here and you are disqualified from entering into heaven so you can come with him. That is his assignment for your life. So the attack on your life, don't think that he's only coming after you. No. The devil attacks each and every one of us over here. I'm sure if I give you an opportunity, you'll be able to tell us and to say, this week, this is how he attacked me. Even though it was a flimsy one, uh, but I, I acknowledge this was him. Through a thought that he placed in my mind, through a difficult person that he put on my path to test me, that's what he does. But on the other side, we have the devil who is defeated, by the way. Let me just remind you, he is defeated. And he's defeated because of Christ. And Christ has come to give us this abundant life. He says it so nice. I've come to give you life and life in abundance. Now many people think that he's speaking about life in heaven. He's speaking about here as well. While my feet are on this earth, I'm going to have the abundant life. And an abundant life means that you have a victorious life. And abundance is not just things, money. You can have all the money, but yet you're living in defeat. I'm sure a lot of you know a lot of Hollywood stars, especially now lately, they, are, they have bank balances with so many zeros, but they commit suicide. Because material wealth does not equal victory in life. But Jesus says, I've come to give you that abundant life, which is victorious. Means when I'm walking, I have the, the assurance and the confidence to know that I'm going to make it through this day. That I am in the will of the Lord. That I cannot be taken out. That I, that I don't need to, def- to, to, to uh, retreat. That I can win this. That is what it means. That is what a life of, of, of abundance means. But we water abundance down. We water the words of our Messiah down to things. No. It means a a healthy mental state of victory. 
It means my family is victorious. Every area of my life is victorious. We shuffle it into like the world who just thinks about finance. The church needs to stop thinking the way the world does. A lot of people, and I've been speaking to a lot of uh, people who have been hurt by the church, and the one thing I'll ask them, why don't you come to church anymore? And the answer is always, it's a consistent answer, and it's because the church looks very much like the world, so I don't see why I need to go in there. I get backstabbed in the world, I get backstabbed in the church. They gossip about me at work in the world, they gossip about me at church. So what is the difference? And a lot of times you don't have an answer. Because if you look at it, it is the truth. But this is where the remnant comes in. The remnant are those believers that says, I see what's happening. I see all the errors in the ways of the church, what has happened. But for me, I'm going to stand in the ways of God. I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to water down my life to suit the world or to suit this one or that one. If this is what the word says, I walk in it whether it's unpopular or not. The remnant are those that's going to put the name of Jesus where it's supposed to be again. So the devil's only purpose, like I said, is the destruction of man. The devil's attack is an indication that he thinks he has found a potential area of exploitation against you. Our first, uh, our first reaction when the enemy attacks is always panic. Why? If you knew you were victorious, why do you panic? If I know, imagine you had this big brother. And he's a bodybuilder. And he's, look, he's, he's buffed. He's so buff. He can't even put his arms down. You get those guys, they, they walk like this because they have to. Because their arms can't go down because of the muscle. And here somebody is, is you know, is, is, is looking for trouble with me. But I know my big brother's at the back. You think, I'm going to be afraid. No, I'm going <laughs> to. What, what do you want to do? Because I know if you touch me, big brother's at the back here. A believer walks in victory. When he sees the attack of the enemy coming, he doesn't shiver and quake in his boots. He's walking around, like the Bible says, you walk around sober-mindedly. A sober-minded person is, is stable and remains stable. So when you see the attack of the enemy, know that that's an indication. Remember the fact that the attack came on your doorstep, it means that God allowed it. Like with Job. He allowed it. So the fact, if, if God allowed it, you can already rest and know, okay, it's not going to take me out. So if it's not going to take me out, then why have you allowed this, Lord? Because I'm showing you, my son, I'm showing you, my daughter, where there's an area of vulnerability in your life. Bible says that what the enemy meant for evil, God turns around for your good. And that is what that scripture means. When that attack comes to take you out, God hijacks that. That assignment that the devil has, and he uses it as a lesson for you to show you this is where you are weak. But we're too busy running around in fear that we don't learn from the lesson. And guess what? It just comes around again. Because the devil will never attack you at your point of strength. No devil in hell is going to attack a believer on their strength. If prayer is your strength, the devil's not going to touch you in prayer. If faith is your strength, the devil won't touch you in your faith. But if money is your problem, he's going to be on your case all the time. So that attack, let us from that, firstly, firstly, let us from this point forward, when an attack comes your way, instead of first fearing, look at where is this attack? Oh, it's in that area. Then it must mean there's something I need to work on. And you go 
and you work on it. You see, the devil's only battle strategy is attack. The devil don't retreat. He, he, he just uh, he, he comes in a different way, in a different form. He doesn't have a defense. He just has an offense. Psalm 144 verse 1 to 2 says, Praise be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. Verse 2, He is my loving God and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield in whom I take refuge, who subdues peoples under me. So God, who is seated in heaven, He trains my hands for war. God is my trainer. He's my trainer. He's training my hands for war, my fingers for what? Just to be around here on this earth? No, for battle. When you gave your heart to the Lord, maybe the fine print was not made available to you, but the fine print is when you gave your heart to the Lord, you enlisted in the army of heaven. And you became a target. Some people, have, and I'm sure you also know stories, that the moment people gave their heart to the Lord, there's maybe three days of bliss where it's like, oh, I'm on a high. But then comes that moment where all hell breaks out in it. Uh, just your life is havoc and you're wondering, did I make the right choice? Because my life was never like this. Now that I'm saved, now all of a sudden things are going wrong. Because there's a target painted on your back. And many of us, we gave our hearts to the Lord and the way that we gave it was maybe... Where you gave your heart, it was, the, the, the message was, come to Jesus and everything will be okay. Your life will be perfect. And Jesus, Jesus even says to his disciples, if they're going to despise me, they're going to despise you. If they're going to want to kill me, they're going to do worse to you. But you have the victory. Ephesians 6 verse 3 to 13 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. And in the power of his might. So be strong who in the Lord. Not in your own strength. In the Lord. Verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God. And this is where my message is taking off. Where you are dressed for success. That you may be able to stand the wiles of the devil. So you need to put on that armor. In order for you to be able to stand against him. So in other words, what that verse is not saying is that if I don't have the armor, I won't be able to stand against the enemy. I'm going to fall flat every battle time. I won't be able to overcome him. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. The same like each and every one of you here, you stood before, you stood in front of your cupboard and you, there was a mental process that went on in your head in order for you to come today looking as beautiful as you are today. You didn't roll out of your bed and roll into your clothes and well, none of you are surprised. Hey, I didn't know I have this on. Sure, how did that happen? No, all of you know exactly what you have on because you went and you put it on. The same with putting on the armor of God. It has to be uh, deliberate. It's not a, let me just stand here. Here we go. It's going to happen now. Just this way. It's gonna, no. It doesn't happen. Like, you have to deliberately go and put these things on. And I'll show you now how you put these things on. So you are trained for war. 
So we are often ill prepared for life due to the lack of awareness of the importance of being battle ready at all times. We don't realize the importance that I need to be ready as a Christian, especially in this world. Where every single thing that is said in this world goes against my faith. We know about the latest thing now in the schools. It's going against the Christian faith. And if you look at all other religions, dead religions, it's almost like they just nicely just moving on side of whatever decision they make, they just flow with it. But the Christians are the only ones who cannot because it goes against everything that we know. Everything that is instilled inside of us. So you need to be ready for the battle firstly. If you don't, if you're not at that point, if you're not ready for the battle, then you're not going to win at all. You're not going to live a victorious life. So in other words, what I'm saying, if you don't wake up every morning knowing and anticipating that there might be a shot fired towards me today. There might be a plan or a strategy that the enemy might have for me today. Do I mean living fear? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying be aware that wherever you are walking, you are on the battlefield. And don't walk around as if nobody's there out to get you. Be aware. Be aware of your surroundings. Many believers, they walk around as if they're not even in a battle. They walk around, like the Bible puts it, almost like they are civilians. But you are not a civilian. You are a soldier, so you conduct yourself like a soldier. The Bible says that a civilian or a soldier does not entangle himself in the things and the affairs of this world. But yet we have believers that goes beyond entangling themselves in the things of this world. Every new little thing they want to be a part of. Everything that the world dishes to them, they want to be a part of. You are entangling yourself, my brother. You are entangling yourself, my sister. And we wonder why we are not battle ready. Your training always precedes your battles. In other words, you train and then the battle comes. But a lot of us, we, we only want to be trained. We only wake up when we're in the battle. Now we're saying, Lord, train me. Train. You can't train a soldier on the battleground. That guy is not going to survive. That girl is not going to survive. Because training, what training does is when you fail in training, there's always another opportunity because the, the consequence is not as bad. But when you fail on the battlefield, it's death. And a lot of us only want to wake up when we are on the battlefield. Now, Lord, help me, Lord. The Lord comes through. But the consequences that follows, unfortunately, there are consequences. So your training must proceed. And when, the, when does the training happen? It happens where, where you spend time with God. Where you spend time with His Word. That is the training process. This that's happening is training. Training that is taking place. So when the battle comes, you know exactly what to do. If, I, if, I, if you look at firemen, and we've all watched movies sometime or another, where we have this fireman, and they are in their, their firehouse or whatever you call it, and they, some of them are playing cards, some of them are eating. The moment that bell goes off, they are down, sliding down the pole, getting ready. Some of the clothes, actually, I love the way they pack their clothes. I don't know if you've seen this. They stay, their pants is packed nicely, so they just step in, and they pull it up, and they're ready, and they're gone. They don't stand in, in front of the, the cupboard and say, what are we going to put on now? And the bell is ringing. What are we going to do now? I don't know. Do, do you like this boots? Does it go with this top? No, everything is there. That's a perfect picture of a believer. When it comes to battle time, your arm is ready. You just 
put it on quickly and you move towards the battle knowing that you are going to succeed. But you have to be ready all the time. The success is part learned skill and part consistent preparation. It's that they don't even need to think of this thing. It comes out naturally. Now that only happens the more you prepare, the more you train, the quicker your response will be. Because if you do not prepare, now when you're on the battlefield, the mistake that we make is, now we still have to think, okay, what do I need to do now while the battle's going on? What do I need to do now? Do I need to? In the meantime, the enemy is having, is having havoc in your life because you are not prepared. So that preparation develops that reflex action in your mind. It, it, it develops that, that when you are in a, an emergency, instead of, of, of panicking, you know exactly what to do. It just comes out automatically. You are calm, you are collected, everything is fine. Why? Because you prepared already. So your reflex action comes naturally without thinking. Daniel 3, verse 16 to 18, you can just listen to this. This is an example of a reflex action. We know the story when they were put in the fiery furnace. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, Verse 17, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. He, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Now the responses you can hear. It's not a response that was rehearsed. They didn't come together and say, what are we going to say to this guy? The three of them stand. No. It's almost like the moment the king posed this to them, it just jumped out of them. That was their normal stance. We're not going to do this. If you're gonna, you can kill us or not or whatever, I believe that the Lord is going to save us. Even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down. That was their reflex action. That confidence in battle. They were just, it just came out naturally. Why? Because these were people that spent time in the presence of God. These are people that was preparing, preparing. There's a saying that says you, uh, you can only fix a ship when it has docked. You can't fix a ship while it's on the water. It's very difficult. So the same principle applies to your life. In those seasons, and this is where we miss it, in those seasons when things are calm and there is peace, it's not a time to now relax completely. Now I can take off my, uh, you know, my Christian... Uh, lifestyle, and I can just hang it up there for when I need it again. No, now's the time where you're going to reinforce these things. Where you ask Holy Spirit, what do I need for the next battle? Holy Spirit will direct you exactly, and you prepare yourself so when the battle comes, you are ready. But we don't do that. We're too busy enjoying the harvest that we forget to prepare for the next season. A farmer, when he harvests his whatever he, his crop, he doesn't harvest and leave it. No, the moment he's done harvesting, he starts preparing the ground for the next harvest already. And that's what we don't do as believers. We look so forward to the times, the good times that we, when the good times come, we completely switch off. Forgetting that the devil don't switch off. He's constantly busy. Yes, you won the battle, but he's on about the war. (laughs) So what you get out, is what you put in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they could speak in the manner that they were speaking because of what was put inside of them. The confidence that they had was there because of them spending time with the Lord. And because they spent time with the Lord and they knew Him, 
they knew that God would deliver them from this thing. So in your life, if you don't like the output, then you need to adjust the input. So if you're constantly in a cycle of defeat all the time, which is the output, and you don't like that, what do you need to change? Go and look at what is contributing to get that. Your life is like an equation. A whole lot of pluses, minus, square roots, whatever, equals to that result. If you don't like the result, change the equation. But now we don't do anything. We cry about the result and we just do the same thing again and get the same result. That's the definition of insanity. It's doing the same thing all the time expecting a different result. So if you in a relationship or whatever relationship, not necessarily marriage, and there's an argument that has resulted and you don't like the outcome of the argument and you see it's happening the whole time, Instead of blaming the person, go and look, why do we always end up at this argument all the time? Go and look and I guarantee you, Holy Spirit will show you that is the seed right there. If you take care of that thing, then everything, you won't get that argument anymore. But we so used to, we just want to deal with the symptom and not go down to the root. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 24 says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run? But only one gets the prize. Run in such a way to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. Strict training. Nobody just shows up and thinks, oh, I'm feeling good today. Uh, you know? Or you won't find either of us go and go and run with Miguel and his dad. None of us. Even though we are spiritful and yes, I can do all things. I can. But I didn't prepare for that race. So I'm not going to show up thinking, oh, no, you guys are going to see. How long did you train? No, I didn't train. I just woke up this morning and decided I'm going to join you. No, it's not going to work that way. Because you need to train if you want to win. So verse 25, everyone who competes in the game goes into a strict training. They do it to get a a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body, making it my slave, so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. You see, so often we can give others words. You know you must do this, you must do that, you must do that. But when that problem comes to you, then all of a sudden you don't know what to do. Now the advice that you gave is no longer good enough. Isn't that funny? It's no longer good enough. If you were in that person's shoes, you would have given them that advice. But now when they give it to you, no, don't tell me that. Don't bring me the word. I want something else. But it must be okay for someone else. So don't disqualify yourself. This is what the Bible is saying. When you have trained and trained and trained, don't train so hard and you see others training that you disqualify yourself by being ill-prepared. So there's a prize that we are all here to win. And the thing about our, our prize is that we're all winners. All of us are winners. There's no first, second, third, fourth, fourth, none of that. None of that. The prize is salvation. It's all there. You win it. You have won. And now the enemy knows that and this is what he's after. He's after that prize. He knows that 
if I leave you as you are and I leave you in the word and I leave you to commune with Christ because he's won the victory, Jesus who has defeated me will give you the battle strategy of how he defeated me. And he will give you the same strategy and apply it in your life and I will not win. So he's already made it through. And if you're going to use his strategy, I know I'm done for. So I need to disrupt that process of training that the Holy Spirit has been assigned to you to do. And if I can just disrupt that process, then I can get you out of that, uh, of winning that prize. And that is, his, that is his motive. That is his aim. So, continue. So, this is God's training program. This is his requirement. So, Ephesians 6, verse 14 to 18, it says, Therefore, having girded your waist with truth, so these are all the requirements for battle, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, having, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So this is the training program that you need to go through. This is the requirements that you need for battle. Paul puts it so nicely in a, in, a, in a way that you can understand it. Everybody knows what a soldier looks like, even though we don't have soldiers like the way they have it here. But it's easy to relate to. And it's easy to know that if you're a soldier... The common thing is, or the, the default is, you have to have armor. Even They even did it with David when he needed to fight Goliath, the little boy that wants to go and take this guy out. The first thing is, no, you need armor. You need armor because it's a normal thing. So they're bringing this particular uh, um, analogy into your walk with the Lord that you need to be dressed for it. That's the first thing. If you're not prepared for it, if you're not dressed for it, then it's going to be a difficult battle for you. So let me break it down. Firstly, we have the belt of truth. Now, the belt is not our belt that we have here. If you look at the Roman armor, the belt contained, they had another little knife on the side here, you know, and also some of them, you could keep your sword there so you didn't have to walk with it the whole time. You could keep it on the side. So the belt contained mostly all the offensive weapons, the weapons that you used to attack with, the sword or the little knife, it, it, was, it was sheathed in there. So it's interesting that the writer it, it refers to this belt as the belt of truth. You see, because truth is the foundation of every attack, attack against the enemy. How can I prove this to you? When the enemy attacked Jesus, what did he say? It is written. What is that? That is truth. So he counted and he made his attack not based on opinion, but based on the truth. And this is where a lot of us, we don't fight the devil anymore with truth. As believers, we fight him nowadays with opinion. Because I heard that pastor say it. Or I heard this pastor say it. Or I heard Brother Collins say it. Or Brother Boa say it. So now I fight the devil with his words. And not with the truth. What works for my brother, like I always say, is not necessarily going to work for you. But we're too lazy to get into the word that we are just we constantly on the record and I'm just recording everybody's things and I just give it out like a parrot. We are becoming spiritual parrots. And we don't really know the truth anymore. 
That is when the enemy comes and he comes, he comes. And you, you quote scriptures till you blew in the face and you plead the blood and but nothing happens because it's not your truth. What is the gospel according to you? That is where the power is. You see when you, when Christ, he, 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 he sort of gives us this mandate that you need to become the living word. The word must become life. And when your word becomes life, the truth will become life as well. Now when you say it, when you quote that scripture, when you quote Psalm 23, the enemy shudders because you're quoting it from a position on a foundation of truth. It's no longer words. It's no longer hearsay, but it's revelation. But we don't do that. We want the easy way out all the time. So we have these books with all of these scriptures and some of them are useful. Yes, it is. But now what we do is instead of training, we go buy a book with, if you're having this attack, you quote this scripture. And you have that attack and you quote this scripture. It's not going to work all the time. It's not the word that you quote that helps you. It's the word that you've lived out that will help you. If you dare quote a scripture that you don't even believe yourself, or if you dare quote a scripture that you have not even loved, oh, I walk by faith and not by sight, but you're not walking by faith. Enemy's not going to shudder when you quote that scripture. But have a believer that has a walk of faith. And if he quotes the scripture to do with faith, the enemy shudders because that guy, he knows what he's talking about. He knows how to use that weapon. Let's get away from him. You, you don't know how to use it. You're holding it, but you have no idea how to use it. You don't know where to. It's actually on, on, on safety. The safety's on. That's the way the devil looks at us. So everything you do must come from a position of truth. And the only way you get that is not by sitting here. It's by getting into this. That is how truth becomes established in your life. And the easy way to know, and I always test myself, am I enough in the word or not, or what is going on? When I speak to an unbeliever, if I can reach that person without mentioning a scripture, then I know the living word is working through me. And that's how you test yourself. You don't have to walk around and Instead of speaking normally, you, you just speak in, you know, you just, you just mentioning scriptures. To an unbeliever, it means nothing. Absolutely nothing if you can't relate to it. That's how you know. Am I enough in the word of God? Can I break down the scripture to, to a language that you can understand? Without saying in this scripture, in that scripture, but I understand exactly what he was saying. That is how you know. And a lot of us, we can't do that. Some of us, we hide behind the scriptures. Because I don't want to love it. I just want to quote it so from the outside it appears as if I'm walking a life with God. But it's not that I'm walking a life with God. I've just learned how to repeat what was said to me. There's a difference between repetition and effectiveness. There's a difference. Don't misinterpret the fact that you can quote the scripture with the fact that you are actually being effective, that that, that, is, that, that weapon is actually working. No, you must be able to love it. Love it. Jesus could, uh, even the devil, even the devil, even the devil can quote the scripture. So you can't come to me with that premise because I can quote the scripture. No, you must, the scripture must have life. It has to have life. And then we move on to the breastplate of righteousness. Now the breastplate covered this section here. So it's all the vital organs is covered by the breastplate. Now what is righteousness? Righteousness is living in right standing with God. Being in right standing with the Lord, it's like having a nevertheless 
attitude with God. Nevertheless, Lord, let thy will be done. Even though I feel this way, let this cup pass me by. Nevertheless, let thy will be done. That's living in righteousness. We are in constant right standing with God. And in the normal part of the armor, that protects the, uh, you know, that, that, that protects the vital organs over here. So that is vital that you walk in right standing with God. Don't live a life to impress your leaders or to impress your family. Live a life to impress God. You are on this earth and you, 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 somebody once told me that our life on earth is an audition that God is looking and is watching. It's like going to idols and they're watching your performance. This is God watching your life. So I'm going to put that test in front of you and see what you do. It's an audition. So are you in right standing with God? Now remember, this is how you win your battles. So truth, loving truth, walking in right standing with the Lord. And then it says, feet of the gospel of peace. Now again, these analogies are strategic. It's a teaching tool to show you the proper way this thing functions. So the feet of the gospel of, feet, of, of peace. Your feet is one of the things in your body that's constantly mobile. If you don't have feet, it's very difficult to get around. So your feet makes you mobile. So by them associating the gospel with feet, it shows me that when you understand the gospel, what is the gospel? This is the gospel. The gospel is where you understand that I am a sinner, and there's no ways I'm getting into heaven, but I'm saved by grace. And because of that grace, I now have access to heaven. That is salvation. That is the gospel. That is the good news. Now, the good news, because it's associated with shoes and with feet, it means it needs to constantly be mobile. You see, the good news can never be stagnant in your life. By that I mean, you can never not exercise the good news in your life. By that I mean, again, is that you always need to constantly be reminding people and speaking about your faith. That is why it's referred to as the shoes of peace. Constantly sharing. When last have you, sh- have you spoken about your faith? I don't mean sit somebody down and an hour later they're still there. I don't mean that. I mean just in the passing, just... God bless you. Or uh, let, me, let me put it this way. When last did you have communication with somebody that when they leave you, they know you are, you are Christian? When last? Oh, are you too shy? Are you afraid? Or, you know, that is what it means when you, when, you, when, the, when, you, when you give feet to the gospel. How do you think the unsaved is going to get saved? There's a small percentage that will walk through the doors of this church or other churches. A very small percentage. You know how you're going to reach the rest of them? When you, the living word, goes out there and that gospel encounters them through your life. One of the mistakes that has been made in the church, the modern day church, when the church becomes full, then the church becomes complacent. Because now it's like shooting fish in the barrel. We just need to wait for them to come to the church. What evangelism style is that? Where do you see that in the Bible? Nowhere. How many times, you can actually almost count how many times Christ was in a church went outside most of the time. Why? Because the gospel needs to be mobile. And it's not just for the evangelists. It's not just for the fivefold. If you are saved, it means you know why you are saved. You are saved because of the gospel. So that gospel message must start to, uh, you might need to carry it to somebody else and bring hope to somebody else. Now we think of it as just as evangelism. 
But it's a battle strategy. If I know how to succeed on the battlefield and I don't share it with anybody, I'm directly responsible for your downfall because I did not share it with you. It's a battle strategy. Remember, this is not just for you alone. When you are on the battlefield, it's not just you against a whole legion. You have support. Your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ is all around you. So that battle, the strategy is for all of us. How together we move in unity because God commands His blessing in that unity. If you look at a boxer, a boxer is constantly moving. He's constantly moving, he's jabbing, jabbing, and he's moving around, he's moving around. I haven't seen a boxer stand like this in the bowings and he's just standing. He's waiting. They're always moving constantly. The time when they get knocked out is when they don't move effectively anymore because they're tired. Now they get knocked out. So that same principle applies here. Remember in the previous uh, scripture where it says, I do not just beat like a boxer beating the air. There's a reason why they're using the boxer as an analogy again. You need to constantly be moving around. A, a target that does not move is an easy target. So in other words, if your life is not a reproduction of Christ's life, if you are not walking and living your life out, it means you are stagnant. It means that that gospel has become stagnant in your life. And now you're an easy target. But if you're about your father's business, it's difficult for the enemy to aim at you. It's difficult. He can't, he can be talented, but he can't because you're constantly moving. Then you're there, they're speaking to this one. Then you're over there. Then you're praying. Then you're evangelizing. Then you're giving a word of encouragement. You're never standing still. You have to send so much people, but if your, if your Christian life is inactive, if you are not serving the Lord the way you should, if this is the only Christian activity in your life, there's problems. And please don't get me wrong, I'm not promoting works because works don't get you into heaven. I am saying that as a believer, those who are truly saved, has a, it's, it's built into you. It's something I cannot explain. I can't give it to you. But when you are truly saved, there's this desire to want to, to be about your father's business. There's a desire that I need to do something for the Lord. When I'm, when I'm, sitting, too still, when I'm sitting still for too long, this doesn't feel right. I need to do something for you, Lord. What can I do? That's built into every believer. That is the litmus test of whether you know whether I've truly been saved whether I've just recited some words that somebody said I need to say. If you're truly saved, passion will burn inside of your heart. Then it comes to the shield of faith, which is my favorite. Now the reason why it's my favorite, because the shield, a shield in general, whenever you have a shield, you, you have a specific shield because you're anticipating what type of attack you're going to get. So if you have a metal shield, it means there's going to be some other metal stuff that you need to block. Or, you know, some of these countries, they have this weapon defensive systems. It's like a shield. So if it's a missile, anti-missile thing, they know they're expecting missile. So the shield of faith is an indication to the type of attack you're going to get. So why do I need to have a shield of faith? Let's look at the opposite of faith. What is the opposite of faith? It's doubt. So that shows me that the devil's attack going to be doubt what is the platform for doubt reason did the lord really say that this is why you have you never wondered why the shield of faith why not the shield of love 
shield of self-control. Why the shield of faith? Because the shield is showing you what's the exact opposite of what the enemy is going to try and, 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 and uh, attack you with. So he's not going to necessarily, a lot of us look for the big things. Oh, the devil's going to try and physically kill me or whatever. Yes, he does it from time to time. But mostly, you need the shield of faith because it's going to come with doubt. Why? Because the promise is already yours. It's yours. There's nothing you can do with the promises that God has given you. Nothing. The only thing can, you can do is make you believe that is no longer yours. And that weapon he uses is doubt. Is reason. That's the weapons he uses. And the only way to counter that is the shield of faith. So the faith is trusting where I cannot see or acting when I do not fully understand. That is faith. That's the only definition of faith. Faith is not a feeling. It's not a feeling. People water it down to, oh, I don't feel, you know, I, today I don't feel this. Feel. No, that's dangerous. Your walk with the Lord is not based with feelings. Your feelings go up, down all the time. But in one day you can go all over the show your 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 feelings it's like Joburg's weather it changes all the time many seasons in one day so how can you base something as important as making a spiritual decision on something like feelings but your faith is an internal commitment an internal commitment that says lord if you said this i'm not budging from this if you say I must go there, if you're calling me out upon the waters, even though it does not make sense, I am going to move in that direction. Even though there is nothing in my, my cupboards and you're telling me I need to give you the last, it does not make sense, but because you said it, my faith has convinced me to do this. You see, faith is in opposition against reason. Faith does not require reason. Doubt requires reason. Faith just requires obedience unto God. That's all that faith requires. And then we have the helmet of salvation. So like we said earlier, that first of all, there's no way I can measure up in myself to the standards of heaven. It's like if you go to any place, there's certain standards in the way they operate. At the school, there's a certain code of conduct that you, you can't just bring whatever the way you used to operating in other schools and you come here and you do it. It's just not going to work. The same so for every place. You go on holiday, there's certain things you can and cannot do. So in heaven, there's a certain standard that I cannot. Even you over here, you cannot. None of us can ever hold up to the standard of heaven. But now Christ has come and he's become the fulfillment of that standard. And we just go through him. We just go through him. That is salvation. So why the helmet? Again, you must understand all of this is strategic. There's a, there's a reason why it's referred to the helmet of salvation. So the helmet covers what? It covers the brain, which directs every action on the battlefield. A soldier without a head is a dead soldier. You can have all the equipment in the world, but you won't be able to do anything. The brain, everything relays through the brain. That's, that's biology. It relays through the brain. You can't make a move. My preaching done through my brain if it switches off i'm gone as well same with you so why the helmet of salvation because our every action on the battlefield must be founded on the revelation of our victory through our salvation everything is done when the moment you get into a battle 
Your default mindset is, I have the victory already. I have the victory already. And you're dodging those bullets. I have the victory already. When you do that, now you can do what James says. And he says that, that you can count it all joy, my brethren, when you go through all sorts of trials. I always wondered, no man, that's extreme. That how can you do that? Now I understand it. If I walk with the revelation that I am saved and my salvation gives me victory, even though I'm dodging, I'm dodging, but I know the bullet is not going to take me out. Even if I'm hit, I know I'm not going to succumb to this because I have the victory. And why is it so? Because a soldier requires training, number one. He requires the tools needed. But the most important thing, and we often overlook it, he requires the right mental state. He requires a certain attitude. If you meet anybody that's a soldier that has been trained, they have a different attitude. Their, their body language is different. They have a certain level of respect. There's a certain way they do things. You can see, no, this is a soldier. He's very, you know, he's like, it's almost like he's in a little bubble and he's going about his business. That's an attitude. I can give you all the tools. You can get all the training. But if you defeat it in your mind here, you're going to make a mistake. The enemy is going to trip you up because your attitude is not correct. We have a lot of people that, that consumes doctrine like, uh, you know, like as a junk food. They consume this teaching from that one, that teaching from that one. But the attitude is, no, you have the wrong attitude. And you wonder, why am I not succeeding? I read this book from Joyce Meyer. I'm listening to that teaching from T.D. Jakes and all of these people. Why am I not succeeding? Your attitude. You're not going there knowing that you have the victory. You're just taking this thing from Pastor Leon and I'm going to try this thing out on the battlefield. No. As a soldier, you can't go and try out. You must be confident that today we are winning. We are winning today. That's a soldier's mindset. If you have any mindset other than that, the enemy will start to sow seeds in your life where you sort of give up on yourself. Then we come to the sword of the spirit, which is God's word. So the sword is the major offensive weapon. That's the most damage in the armory. And why is this? Because you cannot be defensive all the time. Oh, pastor, I'm just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm humble, I'm meek. Yes, you can be meek, but you can also be a warrior. You can also be a warrior. Fighting doesn't necessarily mean that you're the loudest person in the room. Sometimes the loudest people is the most insecure people. Sometimes you get it like that. The loudness is just a shield that I, I don't want you to really see how... how how weakened I am, or how, you know. The Bible says that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion. So in other words, he's constantly looking for an attack. Constantly in your life, he's moving around looking for a gap. Okay, that one's closed by Brother Colin. Let me see if there's another way in. Uh, uh, okay, okay. And he moves around until he finds a way in. He doesn't give up. That is why you're, you're, you're in the battle, if you watch these movies, when they are about to move or when they're moving in a hostile area, their hands are always on their swords, ready to draw it, always ready. They're always ready. Does that describe your walk with the Lord? Always ready. Always ready to, to use the word. I know how to use it. Or are you, are you just going to take it out and just run and go wild like somebody that no, does not know how to use the word? Just because you have a sword doesn't mean you're going to be able to know how to use it. If you put the sword in my hand now, I might look good with it, 
but somebody that's talented and knows how to use it is going he's going to overpower me because he knows the techniques that's same with this word having it on your table at home just doesn't do anything it's like having a nice display there it's, you have the display but you know how to use it the last two that we often forget that we don't think it's a part of the old armor it continues let me just read it verse 18 praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit being watchful to the end and with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints now up until this point everything else that i mentioned were all the tools that you need now this is where you start with the attitude this is how you develop the attitude of, of, of being a soldier. How do I have the correct attitude? God has given me the tools in the armor now. The attitude, prayer of supplication. What is supplication? Supplication is a purposeful prayer that is in accordance to God's will. It's almost like where you remind God of the promise that he gave you. Lord, you remember you gave me this promise? This is what it says in your word, Lord. That is a prayer of supplication. A prayer of supplication is not a nag. It's not a... A, a tantrum. It's not a barter thing. Lord, if you do this for me, if you just come through this, then I'll, I'll serve you forever. It's not that type of praise. It's where you remind God about His word. Lord, you said this about me. You gave me this promise. Lord, do you remember God? Do you remember? That is a, play, a prayer of supplication. So why, why is prayer a part of this whole armory, a part of the soldier, a part of your, your you know, this whole thing? Because prayer aligns your thoughts and actions to God's will. When you pray, it's difficult for you to earnestly pray and not be in alignment to God's will if you're constantly praying all the time. Because that is where God communicates with you. When you pray, you know, first of all, who you're speaking to. So that automatically prioritizes your, your way of thinking. Before most of us come to our prayer closets, you have a certain way or certain order of a certain level of importance for various things. But when you come to the Lord and you know you have a revelation that His presence is there, automatically the Holy Spirit shifts things according to kingdom priorities. So I walked in there coming, Lord, I want money in the bank. But the moment you come down, the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you wear the presence, now you know. Okay, money is not, money is secondary, Lord. Lord, let me rather start playing for this. Because now you're in alignment. And why is this so important to, to have a proper mindset? Because we are the soldiers, yes. But Christ is the enlisting officer. The way the Bible puts it. So in other words, we are marching in terms of his orders. And if you don't know the orders of the person you're fighting for, you are going uh, to go against the strategy that the general is giving. So we're supposed to do this strategic thing. But because you have no idea what's happening... You're just doing your own thing. And you cause more havoc than anything else. But the last thing, perseverance. Perseverance is a mental state of never, ever accepting defeat. And I've seen it in these war movies. They, sh they blow the guy's leg off, he's still going. They shoot him in the one arm, he says, put the, other, put the gun in my other arm. He can't move, he says, they put him there and they say, put me down here and let me just, just give me some bullets and you guys move on doesn't give up the only way i'm giving up is if you take me out if i'm dead then as long as there's breath in my lungs i'm gonna fight you with everything you better believe it that is perseverance and never say die attitude that's perseverance i'm sure that when 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 you when you run as well there's a certain time in your in your mind where you feel like giving up 
But then you persevere. No, I have to. It pains in my chest. My legs are paining. But I'm going to persevere because I need to get that prize. Or I need to beat my time. Perseverance. Like I said, a soldier, and I'm closing with this, a soldier is then is effective on the battlefield due to three things, the training, the weaponry, and the attitude. James 1, verse 2 to 8, I mentioned it. It says, My brethren, count it your joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work in you, that you may be uh, perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach. And it will be given to him. But let him ask it in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let no man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double, a double-minded man and stable in all his ways. So this morning I've come to remind you that first and foremost you need to be dressed. But you are, sorry, you are dressed for success. It's just that you need to realize that you are. There's a lot of soldiers sitting in this room that don't realize they're actually ready for war. That you are dressed and you're wondering, why is everybody attacking me? Have you looked in the spiritual mirror and see what you have on? You are dressed like a soldier, sir. You are dressed like a soldier, ma'am. That is why the attack is coming to you. We need to not forget that in spite of the busyness and in spite of our pursuit of things in this world, that we need to remember that we are not of this world. We are in this world, but are not of this world. And as a soldier, we cannot get involved with the things of this world. We need to stand at a good distance and observe. But we cannot become so intertwined in it that we don't have time for our kingdom duties. Because then you are not fulfilling the will of God. God is not going to ask you, how many times did you... Did you attend Shiloh Community Church? How many times did you attend your church where you go to? How many times did you read your Bible? Uh, is your father saved, your mother saved? How long are you saved? He's not going to ask you that. He's going to judge you in accordance to his will for your life. And if you fall short with that, that tells him that you wanted nothing to do with the work of my son. Because you rejected the Holy Spirit that he sent to the extent that you don't even know what the will, my will was for you. And the only way that comes about is if the Holy Spirit was not active in your life. Do not live, and I see this all around. Do not live as a believer as if God is not real. As if God will not judge us at the end of the day. Don't live in that manner. A lot of us, we know we're doing wrong. But it's almost like we're challenging God. It's almost like we don't think He's going to do anything. By the way we live, there's no importance. There's no value for the Word. There's no value for the kingdom things of God. Everything is about us. Even though it says so in the last days, people will become lovers of themselves, but not us. I understand the unbelievers. I understand, but not us. We are the, supposed to be the ecclesia, the called out ones. But we are looking like everybody else. Why? Because I want my stuff. Because I want this and I want that. And what we don't realize, we're doing, we're making a trade. Like Esau and Jacob, we're making a trade. We're trading our birthright for something that is temporal. It's here today, gone tomorrow. That thing that you're asking for, 
if you got it, what then? Is your life complete? And I can guarantee you will say no. Because in a month's time, there's something else. So why are you pursuing it like the way you are? Seek ye first the things of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added. This earth is going to fall away. And the only thing that is going to remain is heaven and hell. That's a reality whether you believe it or not. You're only going of one of two places. Quitters never, winners never quit and quitters never win. Pain is temporary, but giving up is permanent. It always seems impossible until it's done. How long should you try? Until. There's no failure except in no longer trying. You can't beat the person who will never give up. Never give up on something that you can't go a day without thinking about. And I just want to add, in accordance to God's will. Some of the things that we consume are thinking with, it's worldly things. But we think because it's consuming me, I actually must do this. No, it's just greed. Our greatest weakness lies in giving up. The most certain way to succeed is always to try just one more time. And that quote is subsequently by Thomas Edison, who gave us this over here. And we all know how many times he failed, a thousand and one. Survival can be summed up in three words. Never give up. That's the heart of it, really. Just keep trying. And the last quote, successful men and women keep moving. They make mistakes, but they do not.